0: Oh, the program looks like it's having problems. All right. Well, anyway, we're trying to keep live here. Uh, And uh, so I would use that carbon doser for sure. All right. And uh, let's see here. i I got a question from Bobby Richard here that I'll answer. How how do you know when you have too much flow, specifically for an LPS? Uh, He has a reefer 350 with some gyres, uh, 230s. He turns about more than 30-40%. The LPS corals seem unhappy. These settings are far below the recommended uh, 50 to one hundred x turnover. The most people slowly ramp these up. Uh, you know what? That that 50x whatever turnover thing is, rule of thumb. So you know, don't worry about uh, that. You know, you have the ability now to turn up the, the flow in the tank until your corals like visually don't like it. Now I'll tell you that that's pretty much the better rule of thumb is have the ability to add flow to the tank in a way that uh, until the corals start to show you signs that it's probably too much. Everything short of that is probably beneficial. You know, and I might even think about, you know, if I get that point, I'll really look at the tank and decide, you know, is it really that high everywhere, or am I just blasting one specific coral? and one of the easiest ways to do that is I like to take like a straw or whatnot, not just blow some bubbles like right into the pump or sometimes a straw, punch you can just put a piece of airline tube in there can suck and it will blow bubbles at the front now don't get too many or the valve actually turns down but you can start to watch and trace where the bubbles go in the tank, and you can really start to see, you know, where the dead spots are. Obviously, like you know, putting in some particulate food like a colanus or a cyclopods or something too, I can start to track, like you know, where is all this food going? Where is it landing? And really getting a good idea of where the flow is going. All right. Uh, would you use a CO two canister for a dual chamber on a calcium reactor? use a RO canister. Uh, Would would I use an RO canister for a dual chamber on a calcium reactor? Well I mean you could you know what honestly a friend of mine and and I tried really hard to design a calcium reactor out of RO uh, equipment specifically those giant guys the little blue the big blue ones both the super tall ones and end of the day you know, just like actually wasn't that much cheaper than acrylic, you know, after you went through all that mess. But you know, if you wanted to add a second container, you know, throw we use one of those cartridges and throw uh you know, calcium reactor media in it, you could certainly, you know, pump through it. You know, no problem. All right. Which would you prefer between an Octopulse 4 and an MP forty quiet drive? And is the Octopulse 4 compatible with a battery backup from a third party? Hey Randy, will you ask, answer that question about the battery backup? Because I'm actually not sure. Uh, you know, I sure would hope it would be. But I mean, so here's the thing when we're live, I'm just going to keep it real. And uh, you know what? The octopus uh, people are probably going to kill me. But uh, the Vortex every time. Uh, so, you know, here's the thing with the Vortex. And, and I shouldn't say every time. I'm sure there's a use that I that I'd go after the other one. But if you're asking me personally, what I use in my own tanks there's just a couple of things man battery backup is a good one on the vortex the thing lasts like days you know and for me you know short-term outages i don't even really worry about generators in almost any case because you know here in minnesota like the power goes out for a matter of hours i've never been without power for days so like that'd be like a once in a lifetime thing and me personally i got a reef tank i know that the day that the power goes out that like you know every generator in the area is going to go down or go and i go down uh be sold out But hey man, I'm willing to drive down to Chicago. You know, I'm willing to drive eight hours to go get a react or a generator and come back. So if I know like a tree fell in my in my area, you know, I know the power's gonna be out or you a know, tornado comes through or something, I know it's gonna be out for a while, I'll go find an, a solution. Uh, you can get little inverters, you can run them off your battery in your car for a while or you know, all those kinds of things. So battery backup on the Vortex is super important to me. Actually we've used them here when the power has gone out, you know, there's just battery, <laughs> there's just uh, alarms going off everywhere in this place from all the tanks. But you know, they're running and keeping all of the aeration in the tanks going. Uh, outside of that, I mean, this is going to get start, start to sound like super redundant if you've been watching any of the rest of this stuff, but I just don't like cords in the tank and I'm willing to have cords on the outside of the tank. I, I prefer them out there. Again if I got a fancy uh, picture, this is a piece of art in my house, more or less my tank, and if I could only have a cord on the inside of my art or on the outside of the art, it's going to be on the outside every time, without question. And you know, there's probably somebody out there with some specific install where they would say otherwise. but. You know the part about is is, like, you know, one of the things would be different if they were like super straight. So if I could get them really, really straight, they just wouldn't be an eyesore. But they're usually all, you know, wonky and really just such a big eyesore. So having the Vortec in there like that. they uh, another one is I like all the programs from the Vortec. You know, if you get the reef length thing, you can you know program different programs throughout the whole day. I like how they interact with each other. And, you know, the most important of the whole thing, because I'm just lazy, I like, you know, I like to think of myself as a good reefer and do all the things, but there's just like something I just don't like doing. I don't like cleaning pumps. I, you know, don't like doing water changes and stuff, man. Like, I just, I I hate to say it, man. I just feel like, and just at this point, I'm beyond that, man. I don't want to spend you know, my whole weekend cleaning, you know, the damn tank, you know, I want to take care of it. I want to enjoy it. I want to, you know, cut frags. I want to do the work to me that is fun and, you know, uh, cleaning pumps ain't fun. So the ability to just take that pump head out of the tank, drop it in some uh, vinegar and take another one and swap it right in, you know, two seconds, drop it in, take it out. It's all good. So Vortec every time. All right, let's see if we can find another one. How do you uh, – uh, what about flow at the night? Do you turn it way down or do you keep the flow uh, the same all day? You know, that was a good question, actually. So, a while ago, uh, you know, one of our videos, they suggested having slower flow at, at night and some guy jumped on and berated me and told me, you know, the ocean's currents don't just stop for this, you know, at night or whatever, you know. I mean I I don't know yeah probably not but like uh, the currents probably don't but at the same time you know almost all of the flow that's reaching an average coral reef and an average depth is created by weather you know weather creating you know uh like waves and waves crashing into each other crashing into other currents and whatnot in the ocean and weather absolutely is more calm at night than it is during the day. And anybody who tells you differently is wrong. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's some area of the planet where that's not right, but it, it, so would I do that in a reef tank though? I mean, like the idea is you're giving them a rest or something, and it's, it's likely that they don't need the same flow rate and gas exchange and nutrient uh, you know, delivery and all that stuff at night when there's no or limited photosy- no photosynthesis going on. Uh, but like we don't really know exactly for sure what's happening at night with these corals or whether or not they you know, benefit from gas exchange and increased flow. So I guess I don't see a real good reason to not have the same flow patterns at night as during the day. And I think most of you know, the you know, people out there that would say that you have slower flow at night you know, it wouldn't be like factual, it'd be more like a plausible theory. Like, you have a good idea, like the, you know, the ocean's calmer at night, so we should do the same at home. And I mean, I would disagree with that thought process. I just don't, I wouldn't guarantee results from it of any kind. I know that high flow, you know, does a lot of beneficial things in the coral, in the tank. If the corals look stressed, man, because you just pound them, I guess I'd just turn it back all the time. So, you know, I wouldn't never provide so much flow that a coral, looks like it's stressed from it. And then at night, it wouldn't matter. Uh, uh, you know, Do SPS corals, similar to that, do SPS corals need downtime from flow? No, I don't think so. You know, I like, I mean, does the ocean turn off? No. I mean, it, I mean, again, the night thing, but you know, uh, like all of the beneficial things that are happening in the tank, you know, are like still beneficial all the time. So, you know, does it, Uh, Well, you know, this is what I'll say for sure, is no coral benefits from getting pounded in the exact same way all day long, every day. They're going to lose tissue for sure. If they don't, they're just going to be barely holding on for like a really long time. And so, uh, you know, no coral appreciates being pounded and that's one of those big things about, you know, the, you know, chaotic turbulent flow, you know, people used to call it random. It's not random. We're looking for a chaotic turbulent flow in the tank. And so, you know, shifting per point of turbulence, and that's why I'm using that tidal swell mode from uh, the Vortex in here. And also, uh, we had that custom mode for the gyres that were doing the same thing. Shifting turbulence back and forth, where the turbulence meets, you know, is where that turbulent chaotic flow is gonna happen in the tank. And so for me, you know, that's really what I'm looking for. All right, what else we got here? Uh, Ryan, on Ecotech pumps, is it best to have them opposite of each other or opposite, just one towards. Oh, go back. Oh, uh, that. Opposite, just one towards the front and the other towards the back. Uh, well, you know, I don't know. You know, I think actually this is a good one. Like Randy, I debate this a lot, and I personally like to just put them almost in the exact same spots. The main drivers of flow on the front of the tank, so that they intersect. And Randy actually, you know, has mentioned in many cases that he actually prefers that, you know, they're offset so they're not hitting each other and they're creating, you know, different flow patterns. And, you know, I think it's going to depend a lot on the aquascape in the tank. Again, i blow some bubbles in there, suck the bubbles into the thing and watch how it all pans out. Throw some food in, you know, pay attention to where this is going. Do that a variety of times, you know. If you have the ability to like, you know, set up your phone and do a slow-mo of it and just pump some air into one of the pumps and you can kind of do the slow-mo and you can you know, over time, or time-lapse rather, you can kind of see you know, where the turbulence is happening in the tank and get an idea. So my personal preference is just to put them like totally opposing each other, almost like i uh, you up. Know, and you know, Randy likes to do them a little offset so that they aren't spending all of that energy fighting each other. Again, I'm looking for them to fight each other going back and forth. Uh, but maybe like, hey, Randy's doing those uh, that uh, reef crest mode most of the time. So you know, it's just kind of random turning on and off, you know, maybe that's a lot better. All right. Uh, so how many gyres and uh, MPs for uh, 180? Okay, so this is like a 160, and you know, uh, basically that's kind of like a 180 out in the XXL, and you know, for the gyres. You know, we were running this tank with just these two gyres for a really long time. And you know, open and honest, you know they slow down over time. But there was all kinds of corals in here that were very obviously getting not enough flow. And I'm pretty excited to see what happens when we add more flow to the tank. You know, there's a handful of mortalities, a handful of corals that like kind of ebb and flow in terms of health, you know. There's kind of bellwether corals, I think most people have them. So will those bellwether corals really start to show all that benefit? And so, you know, on this tank, which is not that similar, dissimilar from the tank that you just mentioned, uh, you know, we have a uh, gyre that's going over the top. You know, in this case, it's super important because we're about four inches shorter than you and getting, you know, water to go across the top of these corals is super hard. You know, like right over here specifically, you know, if I didn't have a gyre, I wouldn't really even be able to get proper flow to these corals at all. I don't think you can see them very well. So, you know, if, if I didn't have a gyre here, you wouldn't even be able to get flow to all these corals because they're to the top, man, like you're done. You just, how do you get it over there? So the gyre can actually kind of skim right over of the surface over the top. And then, you know, for the main flow, we have a, a, a 40 on both sides of the front. And if this was a, you know, a less, slightly larger tank, I might've gone 60s, but like, I just don't know if you really, really need that. And then in the back, we have two pumps going behind it, you know, and I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but there—I don't know if we released this video yet or not—but uh, you know, Joe from Unique Corals and the Marco Rocks team, you know, helped us build the aquascape in the XXL 750. One of the things he did was put, you know, uh, the cardboard on the back of the tank, partially to make sure you don't scratch it. But one of the things he also said was, "I put the cardboard there to remind myself that I need to be able to pull it out." And if I can't pull it out, I put the rock too close to the glass, you know, because I want to be able to get flow back there and not have it become like a big detritus trap behind there. And, like, I got to tell you, like, you know, I know a lot of guys listen to me and whatever, but I listen to everybody else too. And a lot of what you get to hear from me is just this accumulation of, like, all kinds of conversations that are happening everywhere. And, you know, I get to just geek out on reefing with, you know, Everybody in the industry and you would think when I go to like a show or a trade show or whatnot like we talk about You know football or something, but I can't help it man. I just I'm geeked out on this stuff I just love talking, but especially with other intelligent people and that was like a really smart thing man like this tank here Actually a lot of rock is kind of reaching up against the side And it's like I got one one little hole there in the back that I can get that mp340 to you know get flow through and I uh, really wish that I had just kind of made the rock sit like an inch forward and I had some cardboard I pulled out and like reminded me to do that because I get way better flow behind it. Alright. Uh, what else do we got here? Uh, can moonlight harm SPS coral if it's on? You know what, I, I mean I don't know the answer to that question but I've talked to some pretty smart people about moonlight in general. Uh, and. You know, a lot of people are are starting to spawn corals and stuff and one of the things is absolutely the moonlight. The moonlight is what triggers it. So you know, at least that's what I'm told anyway. And so you can reliably trigger it with a handful of different things, the parameters in the tank. The problem with the moonlight is though, like if you're going to do it, it needs to, you know, if you're going to try to spawn corals or whatnot, you need to do it in a manner which, you know. The whole room's blacked out at, at you know on the non you know light days, uh, it cannot get any light at all. In fact, I've heard you know reports of many reefs that are having problems. Uh, you know, like odd timing of, of spawning events and stuff, uh, just from light from the city you know coming off the horizon, clouds or whatnot, and so it's just kind of messing with the whole biology that you know isn't really used to over a millennia. So as far as harming the corals like there's probably some lights out there that are too strong for a moonlight and they're you know not literally letting you know photosynthesis rest but like your average moonlight in here we use those little moonlights from the Apex their little cord or rope of stuff uh, just because the a- A360s didn't go down low enough for that and for me I just like to be able to see it in the tank at night, especially if this was a home tank. It just kind of gives that twinkle at night that it's cool. And, you know, I've heard, like, anecdotally that the fish are less likely to jump out and get spooked and stuff if there's just some amount of light in the room that they can kind of see what's going on. I don't know if that's just, like, anecdotal garbage or not, but, like, makes sense enough to me. And it looks cool, so why not? All right. What else we got here? Uh... what are your thoughts on closed loop designs are they worth the trouble i mean you know i just keep having that conversation this week uh man me no i I, they're cool there's no question like especially if you're designing a tank from brand new and you got some fun cad software and you can kind of like show you're going to put you know tubes everywhere and i can even build it into my rock and drill holes and it can you know blow out everywhere and like I get to really geek out on this thing you know the reality is though like i got a 100 gallon tank and i want to have 100x flow man i'm gonna have uh, like you know what is that like dozens of, of you know pumps around to achieve that it's gonna be super loud super expensive uh, You'd have so much energy i mean these pumps with the little props on them you know just provide so much flow for you know 30 watts or whatever it is so you know is it cool maybe as a like a hybrid solution you know i want to like you know keep pockets of flow going but it's going to be more about keeping detritus and stuff free than it is you know providing flow for like an sps tank super super cool uh you know i just think you know in the world that we're in today with you know the gyres vortex uh, waves and you know octopulses and the neuros and stuff like that you know i just I don't think I go through the effort to maintain it. You know, the the plumbing can get clogged, and you know all kinds of different things. All right, uh, I'm getting mixed salinity reasons, reasons, <laughs> readings. Do I trust my hydrometer or the Red Sea salt mix? Uh, well, I don't know, or the Red Sea. Oh, I guess there's. Well, I don't know how you trust trust the salt mix. First off, I wouldn't trust a hydrometer at all. Uh, you know, the, uh, the hydrometer, you know, is a little guy with a floating arm in it. they you know, notoriously cheap. You know, one of the biggest problems is they just get like tiny little air bubbles stuck to them. So you're just like flicking them constantly, trying to get the air bubbles off. You know, trying to figure out what your reading is. So. Uh, I just wouldn't trust that at all. In terms of beyond that, you know, I'd, I'd do a refractometer. We got some cool ones these days now. They have like little LEDs in them, so you can look through the light. You know, what is it like, fifty bucks? Uh, you know, the thing about like, what do you trust as far as testing these days? You know, it's so funny, man, because you know, it's like I, you know, for some reason, you trust one test kit over another one. You know, I trusted my Sallyford test kit, my Red Sea one, and the Red Sea one's wrong because my Sallyford told me so. And like, well. Yeah, I don't I don't know man like that kit is like 12 bucks and uh, It's gone through five hands of distribution. It's probably two dollars worth of stuff in it I mean, It's a hobby grade test kit like it is not made for lab or a reference tool or anything Even the refractometers and hydrometers and stuff that we use in this industry They're just trying to get you into a ballpark, you know, so it's like of success It's not trying to be a science tool if you want a science tool you can buy one It's just gonna cost you 20 times as much, you know, uh, for me I can't help it. I just like digital readouts. So you know that little Milwaukee guy, little green one. You just drop some drops on it, hit the button. It tells me what my salinity is. I always find that it's accurate to uh, uh, RODI water. I find it accurate to uh, reference solution. Uh, I don't know if they call it refracto juice or not anymore, but you know, like uh, the you know refractometer salinity juice you put in there, and it's always accurate to those things. And if it's not, you can calibrate it. You know, actually. Perfect, man. You know, it's on sale right now. So, like, that kind of thing, it's also a little expensive. So when it is on sale, it's awesome to pick it up. But, you know, for me, that's how uh, I really want to trust it. And, you know, one of the things about a refractometer, you look through it, you know, there's a couple of steps you need to do, man. You need to make sure that you cleaned it off with oral water from the last time because if you didn't, there's little salt crystals on there that once you put new drops on, it's going to make it saltier. Uh, and, you know, you got to make sure that you let it sit there long enough. I mean, they're called, you know, automatic temperature correcting, but well, the way they do that is, you know, they're like a big heavy piece of metal on there, and it, you know, holds room temperature. and Most of our room temperatures are around the same, and so you got to let that water like turn to the temperature of the room. It takes a minute or so. I just don't see a whole lot of people waiting a minute, you know. So it's, uh, you know, one of those things. But uh, as far as trusting a hydrometer, I don't think we even sell them. You know, we had a red sea one for a while. And we just got rid of it. I, nobody that's in the reefing, you know, or not. I shouldn't say nobody, but most people in reefing, it kind of you know want a higher degree of accuracy. I guess I'd use a hydrometer like in a fish only tank where it just isn't as critical. Uh, the reason being that, by the way, is if if you change the salinity of seawater, you know, by ten percent. That means that uh, the calcium is now off by 10%. The alkalinity is off 10%. 10% may not seem like a lot, but 10% of 420 and, you know, calcium now means that I'm at like what, you know, 370 some? You know, so it, it's actually a lot. If I told you your calcium's at 370 some, you'd probably freak out. You know, if it was 15%, uh, then, you know, it gets bad fast. So you know, being off by that in a reef tank is not so good. In a fish only tank, probably not as big of a deal. Uh, am I, how are you removing the sand bed from the 160? Okay, so we're removing it pretty slow, uh, and you know, we're just using a siphon and kind of sucking some out every few days. I'd say Chad's probably removing it a little faster than we anticipated in the videos, but one of the things you're finding here is uh, Chisel it out, man. It's it's uh, kind of solidified to rock in in many places. So you know, it's hard to say exactly why that would be. You know, maybe some precipitation. You know, got it all together. Maybe there was low pH uh, in there for short periods of time that kind of melted it together. You know, uh, I don't know the exact reason why it turned into rock, but definitely around the actual rocks turned to rock. So we're just sucking out little bits at a time. And one of the things I want to point out here is we're trying real hard to not like disturb it because there's tons and tons of you know, gunk in there, specifically in the like, back corners and behind the rock there. You know, if you disturb it, just brown crud comes out. And whatever's in that brown cloud, uh, I don't know, but I don't want it in my tank. Okay? Like I don't want it in there permanently. So, you know, we're trying to like, you know, suck it out uh, at the same time. So suck the sand and the brown cloud at the same time. Uh, that's doing the best we can. Uh, so what does a coral look like that is getting too much flow? looks like this. Ah, you know, it's getting blasted constantly, you know, in one direction. You're seeing its tissue kind of like falling, you know, not off, but like away. You're seeing like a puffiness and it's retracted and it just looks unhappy. It's uh, like a... Uh, Imagine like a puppy that's in too much wind, man, it looks like that. You know, it's just like obvious. You should be able to see, you know, pretty easy that most of your corals are unhappy with too much flow. It shouldn't be a, a big question, you know. Uh, it's harder to see when they're not getting enough because you can't really see the gas exchange or nutrient exchange in the coral, you know. Uh, but too much flow is usually really easy to see. You know, it's obvious in anything like a euphilia, like a frog spawn, or uh, anything like a zoanthids, or anything that, you know, Duncan's or something that moves, uh, brains are super, you know, obvious. Uh, you know I mean I guess a little less obvious with uh, you know an SPS coral but if the SPS coral the polyps are out and you know it's not getting blasted in the exact same way all day you know it's a pretty good chance it's not gonna be a problem. All right what else we got here? Uh, have you ever tried a brand exclusive method? All right yeah well so this tank here uh, Reef day we did the Zeovit system for like a couple of years and after that, we did the uh, Triton method for a couple of years. And, you know, actually, it's funny you say this, you know, again, I'm just trying to keep it real here a little bit. Uh, is uh, I saw in a couple, you know, uh, a couple of lives ago, somebody said you can tell Ryan's kind of getting away from, you know, the branded methods. And I, I wouldn't say that's true, uh, you know, but at the same time, maybe i am i don't know i really like the zeovit method it really kept me in tune with the tank it has a whole bunch of tasks that are required every day you know and it takes about 10 minutes to do you know all the little things but during it i'm like you know watching the tank i'm engaged with the tank and i actually never I, i even though it was work i don't think i ever had a more enjoyable experience with a reef tank it just I just really got to spend time with it every day and really see what I was doing. And the tank, you know, did well because of that. i made Zio Vader or no. Man. having that kind of level of my attention to it was a big deal. And then when we went to Triton, you know, the Triton thing was really interesting for me. And I, and I, I would still believe in it, and I still would do it. Uh, you know, I'd still you know, recommend it. I'd still, you know, give an understanding of what you should expect, right? Uh... You know, all these things are different, you do them for a different reason. And part of the reason that you have these methods is because there's like a list of rules you can follow. You know, for like a 10 year reefer, man, I don't need a, like a list of rules to follow. I'm personally willing to try them for fun, but like, uh, you know, I, I know what a tank needs. And, but your average reefer just started, man, like they can go hunt down forums and they can read, you know, forever, and you know, all over the place, conflicting reports of this and that, this way's better, that way's better. And, you know, some of these methods, like the Zeovit method or Triton method, I can just implement exactly what they said and I'm probably going to achieve the results that everybody else that implemented exactly what they said did. You know, with the Triton method specifically for me, it really, you know, got my mind going about like water changes and stuff. And like, why am I doing a water change if I have a ICP test kit that tells me that my water is just fine? You know, why am I changing out perfect with perfect? This doesn't make any sense. I'm hauling Bob you know, water and wasting money. And, you know, ultimately that was true. Uh, However, you know, it's not no water changes ever. It's like you just don't need to change good water with good water. Eventually the water gets bad, you know. uh, You know, a variety of different things can happen in a tank at any given time. And, you know, you're dumping in food. If your food choices aren't great, there might be, you know, some kind of impurity in that. You know, really anything you're putting in the tank could have some kind of impurity over time. And so, you know, for me you know, the, you send in the ICP test kit, you know, people have asked how often, you know, we were sending in like every month just because we could, but, you know, if you sent it in probably every three months, it was probably adequate or two, but when the thing, you know, most times say, hey, dude, your tank's fine, but when it said, hey, you should do three water changes, uh, you know what, the tank actually looks fine, maybe I won't do it. You know, I don't know, I kind of like this no water change environment. You know what, you should because you're about to die. You know, A whole bunch of your stuff in your tank is about to start to show you it's pissed off and the test kit is preempting that. It's telling you before the problem actually happens, do something about it. And if you don't, don't be surprised when stuff just starts to die or show signs of stress. So, you know, for me, it's, hey dude, the thing tries to tell you to do the test kit, or the test kit tries to tell you to do the water change, do it. And you know what we ended up doing here was uh, putting on the uh, auto water change system from uh, Neptune. But there's two ways to do it. One, you can do an auto water change; it just happens every day whenever you need it. And the other one's a push-button water change, so you can go up and I can just push the button, and it does a 10% water change for me. And that's what the Triton system did was it told you to do a water change, you know, three water changes a week apart or something like that. And you know that's kind of a pain in the butt for a lot of people. So in our case, it wasn't. I walk up, I push the button, and then uh, next Monday I push the button, and the next Monday I push the button, and like it's done, and I would never run into any problems because of that. But like the few times that we decided like it wasn't important, tank looks fine, man. We were wrong, and you know so like now when I look at the Triton method, you know there's two ways to look at it. One, there's like the Triton method is keeping nutrients down using a refugium. It's replacing you know calcium, alkalinity, magnesium, and all the trace elements and whatnot, you know via their four-part solution and uh you know i from to me i like the water change thing is like uh an optional piece man do your water changes anyway if you want and then just you don't have to worry about it you know like use their four-part use a refugium use all the rest of it and it's doing super awesome and then have the water changes that's going in the background anyway and uh, all of that comes in point, you know uh mooch point rather uh, and you know so for me that was kind of where I landed with all all that all right what else we got here Uh, is it good or bad to clean the sand when doing water change we're straying a little bit here from the today's topic of water flow but I don't care Uh, so is it good or bad to clean that sand man oh man if you are just stirring it all up and I mean, it kind of depends on how deep it is. Let's say it's like an inch, you know, inch and a half, which like you know, inch and a half is kind of a danger zone actually. Uh, you know, if it's an inch and a half and I'm just stirring it all up all over the place, and brown clouds going into the water, that's a terrible idea. I mean, who knows what's in that brown cloud? I'd rather just stay, you know, in the sand, I guess. You know. And somebody else is going to chime in and say it's a terrible idea you know get it out of there but yeah if you're going to get it out don't stir it up man get a siphon out and you know what we often do is take a siphon out of the tank you know clinch it uh bend the tube in your hand and you can kind of work the sand you know as it kind of goes up and down the siphon and in that case it turns the sand over but that brown cloud goes down the drain not like into the tank and, you know what uh, Nick one of our, our wholesale guys here will say is if your sand is more than a couple inches deep then leave it alone because whatever is in there is probably really bad and I, I tend to agree if it starts to get you know three four inches deep somewhere uh, and it hasn't been you know moved in a you know matter of months it's probably increasingly becoming a toilet area the tank and you know not good to to get out in there so if, You know, preferable, I think most people, you know, if you could do it perfectly, would be to have like a half to three quarter inches of sand everywhere. Problem is it blows all over the place, you know, unless your flow is super low. And you know, that's one of the things that, I guess related to flow here, you know, you look at all those uh, WWC tanks and whatnot, even the mixed tank where they're keeping the sand super clean is it's almost impossible to keep, you know, in an SPS tank, we got all that flow you know, you know it's almost impossible to keep the sand from not blowing around. It's specifically at the points of turbulence in the tank. And it just becomes one of those things where you end up turning the pumps down all over the place, trying to keep the sand in place. And, like, I mean, this is up to everybody's own personal thing. But, you know, like what I'm really doing is I'm turning down biology on each one of those pumps, man. I'm decreasing metabolic performance on every one of these pumps I am hurting the coral on every one of these pumps I'm s- slowing down growth I am increasing chances of uh, bleaching I am like doing like so many I'm uh, decreasing nutrient de- uh, delivery I, you know every time I turn down one of those pumps I'm doing all those really negative things just so I can have sand in the tank and I get it, man. If you need sand, you need sand. You know, uh, it is what it is. But uh, if you can do without it, all the biology uh, goes up in the tank. You know, metabolic function of basically everything is going to benefit from it. And you're gonna get all that garbage. You know, I'm not gonna have a toilet in the bottom of my tank just collecting. them. I mean, all that stuff is just settling out and rotting in there. And if you stir up your sand, it turns brown, man. You know what the brown is, for sure you know uh, and so for me I just you know I just try to I'm just like oh everybody here man as you talk about it more out loud and you get away from the like I need sand it has to be his thing if you start talking about it as a you know like what benefit and what am I giving up for it it just becomes like overwhelming like why would I do that and you know so I'm uh, gonna let it go Uh, Do anemones require good flow? You know, that's a good question. Uh, My actual experience and they tend to do better with low flow. (laughs) Uh, You know, we had all those, I mean, it depends on the anemone for sure. So I'm just gonna give you what I'm most experienced with is the uh, rose bubble tips in the clown harem tank. And you know, I tell you that it, we had pretty, pretty low flow in there. And the lower the flow, you know, the more they seem to be happy, you know, puff out, replicate, and you know, when we had high flow, you know, they just didn't seem as happy. So I, this is just total anecdotal, but you know, four years or four or five years of anecdotal is that they definitely seem to find uh, lower flow environments to be uh, happier. So what else we got in here? Uh, Ryan, what are your thoughts on wave pumps? Oh, hopefully Terrence doesn't watch it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so the wave pumps are cool, man. I, honestly, I just, I've never used one. So, you know, the wave pumps are, are pumps that you plug into an Apex. If you're an Apex user, uh, they're actually probably one of the least expensive ways to add flow to the tank. Uh, and so like high flow and they're super super high flow. So a gallon for gallon I bet you is probably one of the, you know, least expensive high quality options for, you know, going to the tank. One of the cool things is that you can pull one out and it just stops. It recognizes that, you know, the water level dropped. You know, so the water level drops, it just turns off. Which means that I can pull it out to clean it. As long as I got a little bit of slack, I can bring a bucket over uh, you know, citric acid or uh, uh, you know, vinegar or whatnot, just put it right in there and let it spin and clean itself, you know, so it's, you know, easier to clean for sure. Uh, But, you know, ultimately, I guess I can't say a whole lot. You know, one of the things that disappoints me about them, and I'm sorry, Terrence, but, is you can't have a battery backup for them. You know, and I've shared that with them. To me, if I got tens of thousands of dollars invested in my reef tank, or even $4,000 invested in my reef tank, but more importantly, I've got, like my heart invested in my reef tank man like my family's like named these fish you know uh and you know i've watched these corals grow from here and i mean i may have names for some of the crabs even you know so like kids do anyway so like it's devastating if you lose it and one of the you know like the first thing is throw your heater out once a year and replace it with a new one That won't like you know make sure you never have a problem with a heater but it will drastically reduce the chances The heater is probably the number one reason that you know you have a tank failure the next one is probably up there is short-term power outages and like just gas exchange and like once things start to die it all deteriorates really fast so like you know you might say like hey i had a five hour power and my tank did die like yeah, it probably didn't, you know, but if I was uh, like, you might have been like one hour later from just catastrophe starting to explode in the tank, you know, once stuff starts to go, it just goes fast. So you know, having a pump in there that's battery driven uh, is a big deal for me. You know, the power goes out, I know there's gas exchange, I know the fish are getting you know, everything they need, and heat, and the filtration is not a real issue at that point, you know, the rocks doing the filtration, I don't care about the skimmer or any of that kind of stuff during the power outage. So you know, just making sure you know, the corals will survive a long time at a you know, reasonable temperature you know, following, it's the gas exchange and stuff that's important. All right. Uh, can you use a smaller sump if you slow down the flow? You know, I don't think it really matters what size sump you have, you know? I don't know. You know what? I, you know the size of sump I need? Is uh, one that can hold the equipment I wanna put in it and will hold whatever amount of water when I turn the pump off. You know, whenever the pump comes off, it will, some water will drain there. That's the size of sump I need. And that's actually a good point. Like, uh, we didn't get to talk about that yet. And, you know, in the video, hopefully you guys watched it, but you know we talked about you know the times turnover through your sump and i mean sometimes you look at things uh, you know backward you're just like man that was kind of dumb you know we've been talking about 10x turnover for eons and you know like there's 10x turbo turnover re- recommended in the red Sea xxl you know uh, 750 which means that there's gonna be like 2,000 gallons an hour coming out of that one little hole, uh, you know, up front. Like nobody would do that. Uh, that's insane. It would just be just coming out like a fire hose. So, you know, we started to talk about that in the video. Like, what? Well, what is a reasonable turnover then? You know, and you know what? What? You just start to think about what's the purpose of the sump? You know, and like all I really need is to get water down there for my filtration to handle it. And so. I start to think about what's in my sump. I got a heater down there. The reality is, is just to heat the water. Obviously, one times turnover is good. Two, definitely. You know, unless the room's like freezing or something. Uh, And uh, if I just need to, uh, you know, filter my water through the refugium, well, all I really need to do is make sure the same amount of nitrogen and you know nitrate and phosphate is in the tank as is in the refugium. You know. And, you know, they're on at different times of the day, usually usually your refugium's on at night. And so, like, I bet you one time's turnover is just fine to maintain that, you know. I mean, at one time it's still going over there, you know, one 24 times a day, you know. So, you know, and throughout the night it's gonna filter all the water through there, you know, what, 18 times, 12 times, whatever. So, in low contact time might even be better. So for a uh, skimmer, same thing. I only need to maintain the amount of organics in the water in the tank, because I do in the sump area. And you know, if I greatly exceed the amount of water that the you know skimmer is actually processing, it's like not serving any value. So the uh, only one I could think of is uh, the you know a car or a, like a, a filter sock or pad or whatnot. You know, those if I pump water through it faster will absolutely remove more, but like say I want a 10 times turnover, that means that all of the water is going through that socks every six minutes. This is in a closed system, that it just went through it six minutes ago. You know, I mean, how much poop is in this tank and how much food is being thrown in there? Like, it's not that much. So, I, I mean, I really just don't think it needs to be six times uh, every six minutes, rather. So, really what we found, uh, I mean, when talking about it and then looking at all the data from the WWC tanks, which was like, you know, roughly two to three times, I'm going have to agree. If you can maintain it, you know, the pump, two to three times is probably good. Uh, The one thing about it, though, is that the WWC team has a team of people taking care of this stuff, maintaining it all the time, on time, every time. It's a schedule. You know, it's your job. You have to do this every Thursday. So at home, that isn't really the case. So I would say that, you know, probably, like, four times is good. So if you lose 30% of your output, you're at three, you know, or two or whatnot. But, like, really? Uh it's good news man if you think about it because a the lower flow is like you know a cheaper uh b usually makes less noise and two i can spend that money like making a redundant system you know having two return pumps so if one ever fails that the other one's still going you know which is specifically valuable if you go on vacations or whatnot and you, one of them fails and the other one's still you know keeping water going at one times at least and you know nothing catastrophic is gonna happen. Your filter might be not the most efficient in the universe, but you know, the tank's gonna stay alive. So yeah, all right, uh, what else we got here? Uh, what causes bubbles and bubble tipping enemies? I have no idea. Uh, you know, I, I've seen them come <laughs> in and out, man. I, I would say, if I had to just like throw one thing in the universe, uh, they tend to do it a lot more in super low flow than high flow and then that, that's just my experience so uh, let's see here two mp10s or a single mp40 on the back glass of a 30 cube okay so 30 cube I would do two for sure I mean like two kind of gives you, you know, turbulence right if you had a single one you know then you know, it's going to be kind of getting blasted the same way all day, every day. Uh, I, I mean, I'll tell you, actually, on the, you know, 60 cubes that were, you know, I got my in my office in those ULMs, you know, we did them two different ways. All of them were bare bottoms, and, you know, two of them have MP10s in the back, on the very, very back, on the bottom in the corners, and they just flush water up. Uh, and I think they're on tidal swell mode now, so they kind of intersect and create different patterns in the tank. But, like, A, this is the only option where you don't see a single cord in or out of the tank. I mean, pumps are just completely non-visible. Because it's sweeping across the bottom, it keeps all the detritus and stuff off the bottom of the tank. When I say all, I mean a lot, you know. And, uh, you know, man, they were really cool options. And then on the SPS one that we had that I ultimately moved, and you should probably see uh, Randy set up, you know, as soon as he's done answering 8,000 of these questions, which will be never. Uh, He's answering so many of these questions. Uh, When we put four of those things uh, on on that cube, it was awesome, man. There was, you know, two of them opposing each other, and then two of them on the back down near the bottom. And, you know, the chaotic flow that those four MP10s did was like, I think, Dream level, you know, chaotic flow in the tank, and it created currents and you know, chaotic flow, and like, oh, it was just a really, really awesome flow solution that you know kept everything kind of going in the tank. All right, so uh, how can I tell if I have enough flow? I think I kind of answered this one earlier a little bit, but you know, it's you—you have enough flow when the corals tell you stop, stop doing that to me, and you know, then you know. So really, it, you should crank up the flow until the corals tell you that there is no reason to do so. Because you know, uh, again, in that uh, presentation that uh, uh, Dana or Dana Riddle did, you know, he showed that two uh, two second or uh, the velocity of uh, water at two inches a second versus like four inches a second, I believe it was. You know, we increase the whole rates of photosynthesis like thirty, forty percent inside that coral, man. So like, you know, if we can get water flushing over the surface of that coral, we can, you know, get nutrients to it, we can get gas exchange out of it. We can get the, you know, oxidants and radicals out of the coral so it doesn't want to bleach and become toxic to it. We can, you know, increase the light sometimes. You know, it there's just so many benefits to more water flow to the coral and to us it just like you just don't really think about it it just seems like well i got enough for the fish and you know water's kind of moving around it's, it's enough and i guess i mean adequate is the word you know i mean like those two uh gyres on there i i call adequate you know like i don't know you guys are happy with this tank then you know it's adequate uh, but I'm looking for better. I'm always looking for you know, increased results. I want better coloration. I want you know, more growth. I want you know, healthier corals. I want fewer mortalities. I want fewer tissue recession. I want you know, uh, corals that are in bad locations to thrive instead of only corals in good locations to thrive. So you know, until the corals say, stop it, you're blasting me too hard, and it will visually show you that, uh, keep adding more flow. Uh, and for that reason, I would, you know, like, you know, I hate buying things over and over and over again. It's like the most expensive way to do it. So, you know, try to buy something that gives you room to adjust. One of the cool things too, if you do that, you know, is we way overdid it on some of these tanks, and I totally plan on every now and then will just turn them all up, all the way. And you know, getting all the detritus flushed out of everywhere. You can go down the you know filter socks, crank up the uh, return flow rate, and you know get all the stuff out of there every once in a while. So having more flow than you need is awesome. You know, especially if you're looking at something like a you know like an ice cap gyre 1K or the uh, gyre 3K, and it's 30 bucks more to triple the flow. Oh man, like do it because you'll will never you'll never look back and say I wish I never did that. You know. Barring the size of the pump, I guess you know. In some cases, maybe the smaller size, you know, pump head would be ideal. Uh, what are your thoughts on wave boxes to help with flow? I wish Jason was back here, man, because he sure loves those things. Uh, <laughs> Jason's our uh, customer service uh, manager. He has a tank that we have featured in the videos over and over and over again, and one of the best tanks here. Sadly, he left for a short period and set it, turned it down, but. Uh, he he loves that weight box man and the like you know uh, surges of water that it creates you know so uh, for me I don't know I I guess I just really never attempted it and I try I hate putting more stuff into the tank like that more cords and boxes and stuff uh, and so I don't I don't use them uh, and you know I guess you could you know use the wave movement in the tank you know you can set all these pumps up to you know create that and you could actually probably measure the velocity of the water with those waves but you know for me I guess it's just not something I do uh, I wouldn't say it's bad or I, and maybe even great uh, It's just not a method of flow that I use it probably is also stopped a lot in a variety of areas in the tank where there's you know Way, places where that wave motion is probably really working it and then the other areas it's probably pretty stagnant that would be my guess uh... oh greg man have i tried out the tune stream three uh, i shouldn't even answer that question greg uh... yeah i mean i, I mean it's cool you know it's like a, a pump that has uh, like a magnetic coupling so it doesn't have to you know anything that's going to get you know covered in precipitate and uh... Uh, get stuck anywhere I guess the only thing is it's so huge man uh, you know and the way that it's designed is I just have a hard time understanding how I would use it properly and uh, forgive me Roger over Tunes for saying that uh, I'm sure you'd have a hundred reasons there are ways you could use it I, we just like for the size of it it's just hard to imagine how you're going to use it i love the fact that it's super low maintenance and then i don't have to worry about you know the shafts getting stuck with uh, precipitate and stuff as they spin because it's magnetically coupled but uh, if you can find a place where you could hide it well or use it uh, by all means man by all means <clears throat> all right let's see here uh is there any big advancements in flow technology that you want to see happen in the hobby? Man, that's an awesome question because I got a whole lot I would love to see in lighting. In flow, big, big advancements, man. You know, there's just like, it's not the you know hardest thing to do, to create flow in the tank, so. Man, I think that, you know, the, there's a lot of options out there doing it real well. The gyre, you know, solved a huge problem by being able to do flow across the top without having to suck in all those vortexes and stuff. Uh, normally, almost all the other pumps, you move them to the top, they suck in vortexes and, you know, blow air all over. That was a big solution. Uh, you know what I'd love, man? I don't, well, actually, why, I don't know why nobody's ever made, but it's a way to hide the damn cords in the tank so you know something that just like you know puts them in a u-channel and you stick to the glass in the inside or the you know wherever you want to put them and just makes straight neat organized ways to run cords around in your tank that would be a huge advancement and for me like i'd be willing to put you know pumps down in the bottom you know of the tank if i could have a neat way to bring a cord all the way down there with it it's not the pump so much this ugly to me it's the wonky cord so that'd be a huge advancement for me. Uh, man, what else? You know, I don't know, man, You know, that's a really good question. I'm gonna think about that one quite a bit, man, because I usually got a pretty good opinion on things I'd like to see happen. But with flow, man, there's really good options out there already, you know. Uh, I guess, you know. Uh, I guess I'd like to see some more DC pump options come out for you know, returns that, you know, are a little, meet that, bridge that gap somewhere in between, you know, the uh, abyss and your like standard DC pump out there. Like I shouldn't have to spend two grand to get something that is, you know, really reliable and, you know, not, you know, cheaply made. So like there's such a giant chasm between 300 bucks and, you know, two grand. Uh, I'd like to see something in there. Alright, what else we got here? Uh let's see here. <laughs> I'm building an eight hundred gallon custom. Would you ever consider external pumps and closed loops over power heads and I can't see the last word there? Or both. You know, I guess in an eight hundred. You know, I, I ruled out the the you know closed loop a little bit earlier. But like one of the things we talked about in a, with the 900 there was that at the WWC, it was, you know, they had a little lower flow there than, than some of the other tanks and that's because it's super, super hard, man, to get 12 feet of flow across the tank. And that's why they have those giant, giant, uh, like I think Fanta rays or something, uh, uh, pumps in there and you know, they have big cones in the front and they're super, super huge. I need to get it all the way across there. And so, you know what? Especially for, you know, pockets and keeping stuff flushed out. If I was gonna do a big tank like a eight, nine hundred, man, I would absolutely be thinking about, you know, options for, you know, getting flow into hard to reach areas. Not so much as like a component of my overall like, you know, fifty or hundred X or whatnot, but just as like solutions for keeping detritus and whatever free, and I, you know, would be thinking about my aquascape and how I'm going to build around this thing, and you know, that's when some of that CAD software becomes really nice, or at least somebody that's excellent with a pen. So, you know, I'd really be trying to think about that. You know, short of uh, something huge like that, using powerheads to me just ends up being a lot easier. All right. What else we got here? We got maybe like uh, seven or so minutes left here. Uh, and we'll wrap it up. We'll be back by the way tomorrow uh, with uh, Randy uh, in the morning. Uh, what can you do with the dead spots like underneath a pump? Okay, so you know what? Uh, underneath a pump is actually super easy to solve. You know, So if you think about like a pump here, that's uh, on. Uh, one thing that's going to happen for sure, like let's say I just left that one pump on the whole time. You know, water's going to go out that way, eventually it needs to come back. So, you know, you know, it be blown out again. So usually the water's going to go out and then it'll hit the other side, come back on the tops and it'll kind of do one of these things. And so actually the water isn't all that stagnant, it's probably lower velocity, you know, underneath it. But one of the things that like we talked about a lot you know, so far is talking about that shifting point of turbulence when I have those two points. And I, I just don't mind saying this over and over again because a lot of people probably missed it. So bear with me for the people who've already seen it. But you know, if I have that pump on 90% you know, and this one on 10%, you know, the point of turbulence is right here. Uh, if I have them both on 100%, they're fighting each other equally, and the point of turbulence here is right here in the middle. You know they're going to fight each other, and you know it's going to take that chaotic, chaotic flow. If this one's on, you know, 70%, and that one's on 30. You know the point of turbulence is right here. So, you know, at that point where you know this one of them is on at 90, and one of them's on at uh, 10 or zero. You know I'm actually going to create a point of turbulence where this one hopefully can reach to the other side and create good flow on that side so you know underneath a pump probably isn't a big of a deal as long as we're thinking about shifting points of turbulence in the tank and not creating just turbulence here in the center of the tank with them on bulk you know at full uh, and you know other areas like if you can handle it, you know I think the best pump out there probably, you know, I guess two, I, I would say. Uh, one of the best pumps out there is probably a tuned stream because that little ball can be aimed down, it can be left, right, any, any direction, right? And so, like if I had a dead spot right there, I could put a pump in the back and I could aim it right down at it, you know, and it would blow it all out. And I could still keep the pump at the top. You know, I, I don't have to like reach it from the sides per se. Uh, and, but another one is really that gyre, man. If you go watch you know, some of the videos we've done on the gyre, I think there's one out there like, does it really gyre? I mean, we put those little little floaty green beads in it and you can watch the stuff shoot across, hit the bottom, and then return across the bottom of the tank, man. There is a strong current that is happening in this tank. And that's because 6,000 gallons an hour is shooting in a sheet across the top of that tank and you know kind of you know if you watch the flow it kind of you know wise out or v's out as it gets farther and farther but it hits that side and then it has to return on the bottom and you create that strong current and you can kind of see it like it's almost like it's creating an undertow uh, pulling stuff out of the sand and whatnot when it's really strong and keeping the, definitely you can watch all of the you know detritus on a bare bottom like go along with it and stay suspended and so if i can use pumps you know, a single pump every once in a while and just let it go for a while long enough, you know, five minutes or so, that it can create an actual sustained current that will add flow to areas that are not necessarily getting flow. All right, I'm gonna take like two more questions and then we're gonna call it a day here. Uh, Do you prefer constant flow from your powerheads or waves and pulsing? Uh, From Ryan there. And like for me, you know, uh, let's let's just say we're talking about SPS tanks. uh, uh, you know, really, most tanks actually. Actually, I can't even think of a tank where I'd want to leave them on all the time. To be honest, you know, uh, and maybe they run really low. You know, so some of those things like the the CJ pumps, uh, those little extreme guys that are about this big, uh, you know, they're super wide flow. Some of the high doors are super wide flow. I mean, you can watch in the like you know flow dynamics videos that we have for those things that you know the flow only even like makes it to this point and so having them on all the time intersecting with each other you know probably is just fine especially like in a you know mixed tank or a LPS tank or whatnot but in almost any other tank especially you know SPS dominant tank like I'm definitely going to create chaotic turbulent flow that's going to flush all the corals and it's going to hit it from different angles all the time you know Uh, so the one thing that people totally forget about all the time, especially when they're using these like rules of thumb of flow, is you know I got you know you know four pumps and they're X gallons an hour and I have a total of you know hundred times over, but I turn half of them off in any given moment. I do not have a hundred X. I have fifty X. I have a hundred X like total capacity, but what I'm actually using in any given moment is fifty X if they're half off all the time. So you know keeping that in mind when I'm trying to generate the amount of flow that I want the same thing with DC pumps if you know one of them is at a 90 and the other one's at a 10 and it's always in the shifting balance of that I only have half of the total capacity in there and I don't want to get like too hung up on you know the 150 x 100x or whatnot because it's not super valuable other than you know a little bit of a rule of thumb but you should definitely think about it. if I'm going to turn half of these off at any given moment you know that that's you know, gonna cause some issues. So one of the things you could also think about is if I have, you know, like AC pumps, you know, or even DC, I guess, you know, I can, you know what, I think uh, the guys over at Worldwide even do this with some of their DC pumps. And uh, you know, then two of them might actually be on all the time opposing each other. And then two of the other ones are, you know, coming on at different times in different areas of the tank or four of them are coming on in different areas, you know, to create that opposing flow and, you know, chaotic turbulence. So sometimes you might want to have two on all the time and have other pumps coming on and off to create that kind of turbulence. Let's see if we can answer one more. Uh, How do you feel about surge systems with a large blast uh, at once from one side to another? You know, I've seen like, uh, I've never seen one in person, but I've seen them uh, on, you know, uh, like uh, zoos and whatnot or, you know, public aquariums as well as you know YouTube videos. I think it's super cool. I, I mean, like, I mean, I want to go out and do it right now just remembering it. So, you know, that is creating, you know, like a wave effect, or a large velocity of water, man, hits the scene fast, you know. For those of you that don't know, like, usually that's like Not usually, but there's a whole bunch of different ways you could do this. But one of the ways is it fills up with like a large cavity of water, you know, and it hits a point where it doesn't balance, and then it like just dumps like you know 80 gallons of water into this thing all at once, and creates this huge flushing effect. And then it falls back and fills again, and then it goes again. So you know, if you had the ability to do something like that, man, kudos to you. It's super cool. Yeah. All right, one more, and then we'll call it today. All right. Randy R. Oh, yeah, that's Randy Russell. Does anyone else vote for these live scenes being co- podcasts? Like, Randy, figure out how to turn this into a podcast because I have no idea how to do podcasts or what any of that is. But I've heard several, several people say that uh, and uh, they want to listen to this kind of thing. Obviously, you don't need to see me to talk about it. Uh, listen to this kind of thing on the way home from work or, or whatnot. Uh, and, you know, if there's a way to do that, man, absolutely. Uh, and one more that isn't Randy. Uh, Ryan, do you prefer to oversize the circulating pumps in the display? I have an Ecotec 40 and do not want to run them at 95%. If you got a larger pump, I could run them at lower speed. Yeah, 100%. So if you watched last week's episode, you'll see that we got two 40s in the back, I got a 60 in the front, and there's no way on both sides they're going to be running 100%. So two things. One, pumps that are running 100% always make some amount of noise. I don't know what it is about They don't stop them before they start to make noise. So, you know, run them at 80 and they almost never make noise. At 50, for sure not. Uh, They also don't get hot and all these other different things. But more to the point, like, I have capacity to, you know, hit different areas with different amounts of flow. You know, so be running 30 percent, you know, most of the time, and then bam, run 70 for a while, or even 100 for a little while. Uh, especially if you have, you know, the the uh, EcoSmart Live uh, with the ReefLink and uh, the Vortech pumps. So if you have that Vortech pump, you know, in the EcoSmart Live thing, you can, you can program, you know, little chunks of time where they're all just on for a little bit, or they're all, you know, going in one direction for a little bit, and then they go back to their old program. You know, so you know, you you can do that with the wave pumps. I, I believe and you know using the uh, Apex you know dashboard, and they're really easy to drag and drop. You know the flow types that you want around there as well. So hey, we're gonna call it a day, and uh, tomorrow we'll be back. We'll be talking about all the stuff, the the sales and stuff that are going on. And uh, uh, lighting is on Friday. Poor Dave uh, got hit with like I don't know, probably it's got probably gonna be 45 minutes on lighting. And I'm gonna tell you right now, this is the commitment I'm making on lighting. Lighting is the easiest thing on the entire tank, man. Like, the easiest thing to get right. You just need to hit it on a couple different levels. Just need to understand a couple of different facts about lighting, and if you do, everyone will be successful. And if you don't leave that video without knowing how to be, uh, light your tank successfully, I failed, man, epically, and I refuse to fail. So this lighting video I think would be the, I already know man, is gonna be the best lighting video that I've personally done uh, in explaining how to light an SPS tank and I'm just fully committed to making sure that there's no wishy-washiness in this man. Here is how you do it. This is a recipe for success. Here's 15 different ways to achieve it. Like Here's the best ones. Here's the cheapest ones. You know, Here's the ones that most people do on a reasonable budget. Uh, and the benefits of the different things. You'll come away for sure knowing what to do with your tank and lighting. So uh, I will see you, I guess, uh, tomorrow and as well with that episode on uh, Friday. All right. Have a good day.